Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode features an in-depth roundtable discussion from Housing Wire's Lunch and Learn series. This conversation features several different industry professionals, including iEmergent CEO Bernard Nasuli, Home Ownership Council of America President Gabe Del Rio, and National Association of Minority Mortgage Bankers of America founder and President Tony Thompson, and more. During the conversation, our guests discuss the challenges and opportunities that lenders and communities face while trying to increase minority homeownership and how we can improve equity among housing and lending. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Want to give your customers the streamlined mortgage experience they expect? Fannie Mae's digital mortgage solutions are fast, efficient, contactless, and they save paper. Our digital mortgage solutions provide efficiency for you, convenience for your customers, and deliver a great experience at every stage of the mortgage cycle. Own the mortgage experience with Fannie Mae's innovative solutions. Visit FannieMae.com slash go digital. Thank you. Well, first of all, welcome everyone. Um, I'm very happy you've all joined us for what I believe will be an interesting and really engaging panel discussion today. So without further ado, let me introduce the panel. Um, First, I have, and you can't see his face, I have Rob Hieronymus. He is the Affordable Lending Sales Manager at Fulton Mortgage. I have Jill Frondorf. Uh, She's the Senior Vice President and the Director of Mortgage Operations at Fifth Third Bank. Gabe Del Rio. Gabe is the president and CEO of Home Ownership Council of America. Tony Thompson is the founder and CEO of NAMBA, or the National Association of Minority Mortgage Bankers of America. And certainly, not, last but not least, I have my colleague Bernard Nasuli, who is the COO of Emergent. So before we dig into the discussion, I want to spend just a few minutes setting the stage for what we're going to talk about and why. So much of my time is spent looking at data. It's what our firm Emergent does. You know, we develop and we use many different data sets in our efforts to help lenders grow. And the data show that the homeownership rate for minorities is not increasing. And that the gap between non-minority and minority households is widening. I think the most recent statistics the census gives is that the overall homeownership rate for African-Americans is only 44.1% and it's 74.5% overall. And this certainly isn't a new problem. It is the result of decades of history. It also isn't a simple one. You know, inequality and discrimination cross so many systems, you know, this poverty, education, health, you know, both in policy and in practice. But the data also show that the demographic shifts, shifts in our home buyer pool show that it is growing and diversifying. Nearly 77% of our nation's household growth over the next decade will come from minority-headed households. So it's the convergence of these two trends mean that if things don't change, there will be millions of households left out of the homeownership pool. And it also means that there will be trillions of dollars of mortgages that will not be originated over the next decade. So if you add in what we expect to be a much tighter regulatory environment, and you add in social and corporate culture that is ripe for change, 
what we have is Kairos. You know, now is the right time to be talking about these, these things. And so with that in mind, you know, I want to keep in mind that successfully increasing homeownership is really a trifecta for lenders. You know, primarily, this is about growth. This is about your opportunities. Increasing homeownership equals more opportunity. Another um, win that comes alongside with that, though, is that it also minimizes regulatory risk. And finally, and I think this is the thing that really brings us all here fundamentally, and that's that increasing homeownership means that more families are in homes, closing the wealth gap, and we have healthier communities. Isn't, isn't that what our industry is all about? That's what the data say. So what we're going to talk about today, though, is the challenges that are preventing lenders from taking action um, and seeing results. And we're also going to spend some time talking about the solutions and best practices that are working. There's a quote that I like that says, the price of doing the same old thing is higher than the price of change. That's one of the things we have to keep in mind is that we're going to be talking about and thinking about uh, diverse lending in a different way. So instead of having talking about it being driven by risk, we're going to talk about opportunity. Instead of looking at it more proactively or reactively, we're going to be looking at proactive change. And then we're going to spend some time on targeted and dynamic strategies and really fundamentally how to leverage data and diversity within this framework, again, to increase home ownership, but also to grow. And right before I get started, I have to share a quote um, that actually comes from uh, one of the, the fifth third executives um, statement about some uh, of their initiatives. And it says, it is time to double down on our efforts and act in ways that challenge the status quo, even if that means facing uncomfortable truths about ourselves and our society. We reached a tipping point recently in a long history of racial injustice impacting Black Americans in this country. It has galvanized people across America and beyond, and it represents a calling to all of us to be better, to do better. We will not waste this moment. And in that, with that in mind, let's get started. So I think the first thing we're going to talk about today is why and how does an organization finally decide to put resources behind these initiatives um, and get started? So I'm going to start this with um, Rob Hieronymus. Rob, who again is the, the one person we can't see. Can you provide some context around uh, really what precipitated or informed Fold's decision to prioritize, you know, finally prioritize your affordable lending and minority borrower strategies? Sure. Thank you, Larry. And thank you, everybody, for joining the call today. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, our, our journey has been um, an interesting journey. I'd say it's been about uh, eight years now. Uh, by the way, we're, we're in uh, the northern east coast here um, of the United States, and really the journey has been a, a crawl, walk, run type of journey. And I, I would say that the first thing is just recognition, right? We, we need to recognize the need um, we needed to recognize the perception of our organization within the market. Um, we're a relatively old bank, over 130 years old. And uh, we were somewhat known as the conservative bank that did uh, very standard lending, nothing special, nothing really in this space. Uh, we were always purchase focused. Uh, so that's a good thing. But, you know, we, we took a look at the opportunities and said, hey, you know, we really have to sit back and reevaluate our position and our growth plan and where we're looking to go. And uh, the first thing that we did is we implemented the plan. We really sat down to try to analyze that plan 
And it was driven uh, by senior management. And I think that is so important uh, to have it really be woven into the fabric of the organization and to have it be reinforced on a regular basis that, that this is who we are, this is what we're going to do. Uh, from there, we really took a hard look at our product set. Um, did we have the products that, that met the needs of the communities that we serve? Uh, did we have access to grants and down payment assistance? Did we have the proper staffing? Uh, were we doing the proper outreach with our realtors, community organizations, nonprofits? And uh, as we started to implement things, we noticed really a shift in the overall organization and even a lot of our loan officers that became more diverse in their lending profiles uh focused on first-time home buyers uh but as as a really neat result is we noticed that all of our business and our market share uh started to increase and it led us to many many opportunities to expand grow recruit even to the extent of opening up additional bank branch opportunities for us to expand. So uh, it's, it's been a really great journey. Um, well, that's, uh, I think that's a, you know, really good, you know, first answer to this because we're really going to talk about opportunity and it shows from what you said, you know, that that is still a primary driver. So Jill, a little over a year ago, um, Fifth Third made, I think it was a $2.8 billion commitment to the African-American community. So my question for you is, you know, do you think this message resonated, you know, both internally and externally and, and why? Yeah, I think, um, Laird, it really did because um, Fifth Third had a history of making um, public commitments and then delivering on them. So um, we were just ending our five-year commitment from a CRA perspective and we had accomplished all of those goals um, that we set out to do. So when you think about uh, publicly announcing what your commitment is, it's a little scary and a little risky when you start. It seems intimidating. And um, and so that's really what how Fifth Third felt at the beginning of our um, CRA commitment. But uh, we were able to put that into action once before. And so that commitment um, came to an end at the end of last year. And so we felt like this was the, the next step and next evolution of what we needed to tackle in our communities. And, um, you know, it makes it makes good business sense, like we talked about before. Um, so not only, you know, today, actually, um, it coincides with the announcement of one of the underlying things that, that we're undertaking with this $2.8 billion commitment, but we announced our neighborhood um, fund as well. And so um, we're committing $180 million to nine um, specific neighborhoods within our footprint, which is in the Midwest and, and down to Florida as well. So um, I'm excited about that. It's about us partnering and, and leveraging um, partnerships within those communities so that we can reach more uh, potential home buyers. So Fifth Third and Fulton are both depositories, Gabe. So, um, you know, in a sense, they've had a, a guardrails up um, from a regulatory uh, standpoint. What can you tell us about mortgage banks? I mean, Homeownership Council of America works with a lot of independent mortgage banks. So what insight can you give about what's driving them to invest resources in home ownership? And also why some aren't? 
Yeah, I think the primary driver is business. When you when you talk about 77% of the population growth coming from households headed by minorities, you know, you've got to think about the demographic shift and what that means for your business. And so this is really a business play. It's, you know, how can you reach greater markets? How can you increase production? And so, you know, it makes solid business sense uh, on its face from that reason. Also, I think, you know, when you think about serving millennials, which Freddie Mac says there's 24.5 million mortgage-ready millennials, uh, Urban Institute says that about 30% of the marketplace is mortgage-ready with a 3.5% down payment, 26% with 20% down. So still really, really strong mortgage readiness in the market. As you think about serving millennials, you know, you've got to have technology. You've got to have some sort of social responsibility to your corporation. People are looking for that. Millennials care about it. Uh, and and they're more and more a diverse population. So if you're going to serve that population, you have to have a diversity strategy. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Tony, I'm going to ask you the inverse of that question. You're also constantly visiting with lenders of all sizes and types. When you talk to lenders about the importance of increasing you know, their diverse lending and putting resources behind it, and they are resistant, you know, what reasons do they give? Well, you know, like unlike the banks per se, who certainly uh, have a lot of different reasons why they're supporting, uh, you, you know, the, the LMI CRA area, particularly from a regulatory standpoint, looking at potential future MNAs, demonstrating their commitments. On the non-depository side, it gets to be a little bit more challenging because there isn't uh, per se a, a dedicated or mandated um, focus from the regulators and or uh, the GSEs as well. What we try to do and what we hear lenders say is, hey, I would love to do this. Um, I want to invest more in the community, but I realize that also uh, it takes a longer lead time to bring in someone who's new from the street, teach them how to originate, go out into the marketplace. And therefore, I need to be able to find a cost effective way to run the business. We agree with that. We understand that not everyone has different ways that they look at this opportunity. What we try to do and what I try to do over at NAMBA is we try to help companies understand that they can do good by doing good, meaning that in the communities that you and your employees currently live in and serve, there are already opportunities that you can ensure that your sales force, your organization looks like and represents the markets that you currently live in. And by just understanding where those gaps are today, that within itself will give you an organic lift in terms of production, an organic lift in terms of adding diversity, as, as Gabe and, and, and Larry, you mentioned in, in your stat earlier, um, you know, three out of four buyers last year, according to NAR, were either a single female, person of color, or a millennial. So those three groups we know will be a formidable force uh, for years to come over this next decade. And what we want to do is help lenders understand how to ensure that they can go out and attract that population while also serving that population, uh, even as an IMB, and then increase their production while also representing the, the markets that they serve. So along those lines, I think, Gabe, it was you that it told me and you said your exact words were a key to success for lenders in the affordable lending space is that it must meet the core business needs. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, what misconceptions do lenders have specifically about lending to underserved households? 
Well, I think uh, there's a big misconception that diversity equals lower income. And, you know, we've looked at the data around that and that's not true. Uh, so, you know, while there is an overlap, there's actually a greater overlap in uh, uh, white uh, home buyers that are low income than there are people of color who are low income. So um, this is not necessarily a low income uh, play. Uh, it is a first time home buyer play many times, and that does mean a smaller loan size. And so when we think about the delivery system issues, you know, it does begin with the comp structure that is on the, end, the front end of that. So, you know, access to credit really is a mortgage loan officer in addition to everything that's behind them. But a, a licensed individual must help the, the borrower, right? And so when you think about their comp structures and their incentives, that needs to be there and it needs to work for the smaller dollar uh, loan sizes. And so, and those that, that solve for that, um, you know, are successful in it. And you can certainly incentivize loan officers to make great money, uh, though you are likely to have to charge points on those smaller dollar loans. Whereas in a jumbo loan, you may be charging a fraction of a point or maybe no points and just have lender fees. In a smaller dollar loan, it is standard to charge points. Borrowers in that segment do not mind. And that's where you make your MLO money. But solving for the mortgage loan officer, how they're compensated, how they're incentivized to go into this market and do more loans in that 200,000, 150,000, 300, it really depends on where you are in the country um, of that sort of first time home buyer range of, of, of a dollar amount on a loan. But that's a, that's a key you know, issue to be solved for. When you get into the lender, lender fees generally are set to cover the operation. So processing, underwriting, those fees should be covering those costs. From a secondary market perspective, a unit is a unit and, uh, and units add up to volume. And that is all the name of the game in the secondary market. So I really think, you know, the secondary market appetites there, the, the ability to charge, you know, standard fees to cover your operation is there. We've got to really make sure that the front end, the mortgage loan officers are have proper comp plans that work for smaller dollar loans, whatever that means to your region of the country, because that does represent the buyer space and is where you'll see a lot of, uh, of the emerging market or the diverse markets entering the market to begin with. So, you know, we could spend, you know, I think our whole session talking about this decision and misconceptions. But one of the things I wanted to make sure we did was sort of move long, uh, move through the process, you know, the, the initiative. So let's let's move on to what's next, though. Let's say a lender realizes, you know, how important minority borrowers are to their future, you know, based on opportunity and decides to start. Um, what's next? You know, I'm going to start with Bernard on this one, since really this is where your work with lenders often begins. So what do you see being some of the biggest challenges that lenders face like right out, right away, right out of the out of the gate, you know, mainly uh, on account of how those markets are comprised? Yeah, I think I think to your point, Larry, there are basically two um, main challenges. Uh, one is that markets are unique, unique in, in the sense of their composition in the size of the opportunities in each market. And also uh, markets are dynamic. So they're constantly changing and, and evolving. So what we uh, do at uh, iEmergent is to make sure to provide data about those changing markets, whether it's by MSA, county, or census tract. And we have found that it's very critical to have a process that enables lenders to 
transform data into insight, but then transform insight into action, which is really the, the key component. But it's a, it's a five-step process. So it's quantify, compare, prioritize, focus, and act. So quantify is just making sure that you establish the, the size of the pie of that market. Uh, then for compare, you make sure that lenders compare their performance against the market and against their peers. Third is prioritize. So making sure that once they've looked at the, uh, the gamut of markets available to them is making sure which one is the best fit and then leveraging uh, where they can best leverage their resources. Uh, focus is when they can finally set reasonable goals based on the opportunity in those markets and build strategies around those. And then finally, it's act. So executing against those strategies. So quantify, compare, prioritize, focus, and act. Uh, it's an iterative process that you don't just do one and done. You're not just done after one uh, iteration. You, you do it throughout the year, but you have a, a baseline that you can always go back to. So, you know, I'm going to turn to the lenders right now. Um, so, Jill, Fifth Third is a lender with an extensive multi-state footprint, you know, spanning many different markets. Can you tell me more about how Fifth Third decided how to invest the $2.2 billion commitment they made? You know, what factors did you consider, you know, when you determined your priorities? Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, is it's, it's if you're if you try to tackle everything at once, um, your investment gets um, not you know it's not necessarily noticeable. So we felt like it was very important to drill down in our markets and understand where we should be focused. Um, I can speak more from the home lending part of our commitment than some of the other um, portions of the commitment, but I know from the mortgage standpoint, uh, we we drilled in and understood and educated our sales leaders on where the opportunity was and sized the prize like we were talking about. But then we focused on what are the unique strategies in that particular market that we needed to tackle in order to, to capture that opportunity and what would those tactics be and then and then create accountability around that. So for instance, you know, one market we might um, not have the staffing we need for the financial centers that are already in that market. Uh, we're just not, not, we don't have the capacity to handle or uh, be in the market at present as much as we need to be. Uh, we may not have, um, you know, contact, regular contact with the realtors that are selling the properties in that area. Um, we, those are just a couple of examples of um, in one market, you might have a strength and, and a weakness, but in another market, it's it's flip-flop. So drilling in and not taking a one um, one approach in each area, I feel is really important. I mean, that certainly fits with, you know, the idea of investing your resources wisely, um, you know, and, and working and make this, you know, not a an exercise in futility. Um, Rob, you know, Fulton is also in a lot of different markets. I think, you know, you have Philly, Lancaster, Camden. They're really you know, very different. Um, can you share how the, the differences in these markets impacted your decisions and, and, and your strategy development early on? Yeah, sure. No, that's a, good, a great question. And, and, yeah, we definitely have a broad spectrum of markets, you know, uh, from, from inner city to Amish, right? Um, so, 
you know, I, I think it all starts with uh, first thing, which is full transparency with how we are uh, compared to peers, others in the market, what the market opportunity is, and having those conversations with the local market leaders. Uh, one of the things that we have done is we have, we call them local fair and responsible banking committees where the individuals that live, work, reside in those markets uh, are, are reviewing the things that are happening. And we're making sure that individuals within those markets, do they really understand what, what we're trying to do as an organization and what the opportunities are within their market? Um, we also are constantly reviewing our staffing. What is the type of business that they're doing? What are the gaps that are needed there? Uh, but one of the things I really pride ourselves on is that we're looking for feedback and details from those market leaders. They have that street knowledge. They know what is needed, who the, the community organizations are, the nonprofits. And then we do a deeper dive into what are the things that they're doing within that market? Uh, are they doing financial literacy? Are they doing community outreach? Are they doing home buyer seminars and, and uh, you know, it's just constant reinforcement of plans, activities, actions, and results. And we're asking from the highest levels of the organization, what can we do? What can I do to help support those initiatives? Um, just to be, again, more in tune with our communities and, and the needs. Well, I think, you know, I Rob, and, and Jill, I'd like to, if we have time at the end, revisit a little bit more about the actual process of, of engaging the, the managers or, or your, your stakeholders. But Rob, this was a good segue into, um, you know, what I think we, we want to spend quite a bit of time on. And that's that, um, you know, talking about that data, making the decision to start an initiative, even setting your priorities. None of that has a lot of meaning if um, the right strategies you know, aren't in place. And again, I like quotes, but there's another one that says, without strategy, execution is aimless. And without execution, strategy is useless. And I think that is really true when we're talking about this particular topic. And this is where the, you know, the weeds really get thick and, and there's just so much to talk about. So today we're gonna focus you know, first on the, you know, the outreach and you know, connection piece with minority borrowers. And then after that, talk more about the products and programs you know, um, that work on the financial side you know, that actually mean financing their dream of home ownership. So specifically with communities of color, there's a long history of mistrust. I mean, the gaps that they have to over, you know, that we talk about is that have to be overcome are education and trust gaps. What are some of the ways that lenders ensure that, you know, they're understanding the needs of underserved markets and at least starting to build some of those bridges? Um, Rob, I'm going to start with you on that one. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And, you, you know, one of the things that we have recognized is exactly what you had mentioned. You know, people in the community, uh, they need to know you like you trust you, right? I mean, that's the KLT uh, in order for to do business and in order to uh, enrich those communities. So uh, we have done multiple things and it's it's uh, been kind of discussed a little bit here throughout the day. Uh, one of which is hiring uh, specific CRA mortgage loan officers that are going to be out in our communities, 
Uh, they're going to be conducting home buyer seminars. They're going to be participating in financial literacy. And they are all of a diverse background, many of them bilingual. And they're very passionate about this work. It's, it's what they do. You know, they have a full understanding of our product set. They know the communities, the nonprofit organizations. They know grant programs, uh, and they do a lot of outreach. Um, in addition to that, in, in many of our markets, we have hired community outreach officers. Uh, and if I had to come up with a simple job description for them, it would be their job is to go out and shake hands and kiss babies. You know, they are just networking through the market, uh, looking for opportunities, looking for nonprofits, being able to provide services. Uh, again, circling even back to some homebuyer seminars and financial literacy, but just trying to do things to help engage the community and say, hey, we have relationships and individuals that we partner with that can help people become uh, mortgage ready, to help them become purchase ready. And I think that is key. Uh, I think there is an element of trust. There is an element of education um, and, and knowledge because a lot of people, they just, they, they don't know what they don't know. Uh, they could be afraid of the big bad bank. And we're just trying to say, hey, we're here to help guide you down this path. And we want to make sure that we can help you connect the dots here uh, to own a home if that's what you'd like to do. To hear the full conversation, head over to housingwire.com forward slash webinar. That's housingwire.com forward slash webinar. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingware.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.